The scripture lesson for today is from Genesis 42 in your pew Bible, page 52. Now hear the word of the Lord. When Jacob learned there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, why are you staring blankly at one another? I've just heard there's grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us so that we may survive and not starve to death. So Joseph's 10 brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. However, Jacob didn't send Joseph's brother, Benjamin, along with his brothers because he thought something bad might happen to him. Israel's sons came to buy grain with others who also came since the famine had spread to the land of Israel. As for Joseph, he was the land's governor and he was the one selling grain to all the land's people. When Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him, their faces to the ground. When Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he acted like he didn't know them. He spoke to them with a harsh tone and said, where have you come from? And they said from the land of Canaan to buy food. Joseph recognized his brothers, but they didn't recognize him. Joseph remembered the dreams he had dreamed about them and said to them, you are spies. You've come to look for the country's weaknesses. They said to him, no, master. Your servants have just come to buy food. We are all sons of one man. We are honest men. Your servants aren't spies. He said to them, no, you've come to look for the country's weaknesses. They said, we, your servants, are 12 brothers, sons of one man in the land of Canaan. The youngest is now with our father, but one is gone. Joseph said to them, it's just as I've said to you, you are spies. But here's how to prove yourselves. As Pharaoh lives, you won't leave here until your youngest brother arrives. Send one of you to get your brother, but the rest of you will stay in prison. We will find out if your words are true. If not, as Pharaoh lives, you are certainly spies. He put them all in prison for three days. On the third day, Joseph said to them, do this and you will live, for I'm a God-fearing man. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers stay in prison and the rest of you go, take grain back to your households who are hungry, but bring your youngest brother back to me so that your words will pr prove true and you won't die. So they prepared to do this. The brothers said to each other, we are clearly guilty for what we did to our brother. When we saw his life in danger and when he begged us for mercy, but we didn't listen. That's why we're in this danger now. Reuben responded to them, didn't I tell you, don't do anything wrong to the boy? But you wouldn't listen. So now this is payback for his death. They didn't know that Joseph was listening to them because they were using an interpreter. He stepped away from them and wept. 
When he returned, he spoke with them again. Then he took Simeon from them and tied him up in front of them. Then Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain to put back each man's silver into his own sack and to give him provisions for their trip, and it was done. They loaded their grain onto their donkeys and they set out. When they stopped to spend the night, one of them opened his sack to feed his donkey, and he saw his silver at the top of the sack. He said to his brothers, My silver has been returned. It's right here in my sack. Their hearts stopped. Terrified, they said to each other, What has God done to us? This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Thanks for enduring that long. It was a long, there's a lot to that story, isn't there? There's a lot to unpack today. Thanks, David, for reading that for us. And I love the way that you read it for us. It was wonderful. Anybody here ever been to a family reunion? I'm getting ready this summer to go to our family reunion. Uh, We're going to be in Estes Park, Colorado this summer. Uh, We gather every three or four years, and we'll be gathering in Colorado, Rocky Mountain National Park, and gathering together families. We have families now in the Pacific Northwest as well as Texas and the Midwest and East Coast. And so all these families will come together. We do this every three or four years. And I don't know how it works with you, but do you know that, do you ever like become a different person when you're around your family, like your other extended family? Does that ever happen to you? I know what happens to me. Like, I'm not Pastor Matt in my family. You all know me as Pastor Matt. But when I go back to the family reunion, they don't know me as a pastor. Uh, I'm the competitive one. You know, I'm the one that uh, there is no mercy with me. You know, I go from being very pastoral to being very competitive when I'm with my family. And so you start to see those dynamics come out. And the other thing is I'm kind of the jokester, the prankster in the family as well, which a lot of times you don't get probably see it's not very appropriate to pull pranks during worship, even though I've thought of them before. Um, But, you know, one time my my uncle said to me, it was this was back in my back in my 30s, which was just last year, I'm sure. Um, but my uncle came to me and he said, Matt, are you ever going to grow up? And I looked at him and I said, probably not. I'm probably not going to grow up. Because when you're back with your family, you kind of fall back into those roles, right? But one of the questions, or if you've been to a family reunion or you go to a fa- uh, high, how about high school reunion? Ever been, anybody ever gone back to a high school reunion? And, and one of the things happens at these reunions is that one of the questions we're asking is, what's changed, right? What's changed? Today, we actually are seeing what we heard in the passage today was an impromptu family reunion. Joseph is having a reunion with his brothers. This is 20 years. He has not seen his brothers for 20 plus years at this point in the story. And so he's having this reunion and all these memories are coming back. And I think one of the questions that Joseph is asking about his brothers, the brothers that betrayed him, wanted to kill him, beat him up, threw him into a cistern, sold him into slavery, brothers is the question he's asking them is, what's changed? Has anything changed with you guys? I've changed. Joseph knows that he's changed, but he's asking the question, have they changed? Now, if we're getting into the story, and this is a long story, if you want to read the whole section, I'm actually unpacking today three chapters of Genesis in this story. And this is really about the reunion that Joseph has with his brothers. If you remember last time we left Joseph, which was 
a long time ago, two weeks ago, right? So let's bring us up to speed. He was in prison. He interpreted dreams of the wine steward and the baker, and then they went and were promoted into the royal court. One was promoted, one was killed, and then they were in the court, but they forgot about Joseph. He was forgotten in prison for two years. He then gets out of prison and because he interprets dreams for Pharaoh about seven years of famine and seven years of plenty. And so they're in, they went through the seven years of plenty. Now they're in the seven years of famine, and Joseph has been put in charge as the governor of Egypt under Pharaoh. So that's where we find him in relationship to his brothers. But since then, he's, he's gotten married and he's had two sons. And I want to point out to you the names of his two sons because it's interesting what he comes up with. He names his first son Manasseh, which means God has helped me forget all my troubles and everyone in my father's household. Can you imagine that being your name? right? But Joe, everything in the Old Testament, when we name children in the Old Testament, they, uh, it, was, it had meaning to it. And so this was the meaning of the first son. Notice though what he's, what's going on with Joseph. He's trying to move on from his past. He's trying to move on from dealing with what his brothers did to him in his father's household. He was also falsely accused and in prison. So his second son's name is Ephraim, which means God has given me children in the land where I have been treated harshly. Again, how would you like that for your name? You know, so Joseph is basically, I, I, what I see in Joseph is this person that's trying to move on from his past. He, he can't really deal with it. He, can't, he, he doesn't envision seeing his brothers again. Uh, he's now out of prison, and he's had all these ter- uh, very harsh, terrible experiences. And I think he's a person who's trying to move on. He's, he's trying to move on and have a future and raise his family. He's in this place where he's trying to live this better life, and he's trying to be resilient, which is the theme of this series. But notice, this is 20 years later, when he faces his brothers, when his brothers show up in Egypt, what's his reaction? Do you notice the emotion of the reaction? I mean, there's a little bit of harshness with his tone with them and accusing him of spies. But more than importantly than that, notice what did he do when he sees them and when he hears them? What happens to Joseph? He weeps. In fact, three other times in the story past this, if we keep reading, we'll see two more times that he pulls away and he weeps because the emotions are all flooding back. He thought he moved on. Have you ever felt that way like Joseph? Like, I've moved on from that. I'm better. I've moved on. And then something happens, triggers that emotion to come right back to you. And I think what's happening in Joseph is all those emotions are flooding right back into his being, and he can't help but be overcome by them. Now, as an analytical person and a rational person, I tend to like not try and have emotions. Do you, are there any other analytical, rational people out here? I know there are, by the way. We tend to look at emotions and we try and like observe emotions and try and negotiate our emotions and deal with our emotions. I would suggest to you that emotions aren't bad. Now, I rationally know that, right? That's how my rational thought works. But you know, emotions are actually communicating something to us. They're telling us that something is not right. They're telling, especially bad, you know, these uh, difficult emotions are actually communicating to us. Uh, Philip Yancey in his book, uh, Where is God When It Hurts, talks about leprosy. And I remember when I was in India, I was uh, with, uh, able to visit a leper colony. And part of the reason that people lose limbs as lepers is because they can't feel pain. And so if you put your hand on a hot stove, you don't feel it. 
If you cut your hand with a knife, you don't feel it, then that hand gets infected and then you lose parts of your body because you can't feel pain. And he says in his argument in his book is that, that God created pain to communicate that something's wrong <laughs> and that we ought, to, we ought to be acknowledging the pain in our lives. And so Joseph now has got to wrestle with and deal with the pain of his past like he hasn't been had to deal with before because now his brothers in this family reunion has brought all these emotions back to him and he's having to deal with his emotions about that. But even in the midst of this emotional struggle for Joseph, there's a key verse here, verse 9. I want to point it out to you. Did you hear in verse 9? Joseph remembered the dreams he had dreamed about them, his brothers. He had had a dream that they would come and bow to him. And what just happened in this story? They came, and as the governor of Egypt, they bowed to him. He remembered that dream. That dream that he had when he was 17 years old, he remembers that dream. And that dream, that, that verse is important because it's not, it's, it's Joseph realizing that despite his emotions, that despite this impromptu family reunion, that God is up to something in the midst of this. That God's working on something behind the scenes and Joseph is remembering, oh yeah, there's something bigger going on here. And as we, if you keep reading, in fact, I would suggest when you go home today, read chapter 42, 43, and 44 together. Because you'll see all through those three chapters, God keeps popping up in these chapters in a way that we don't see God before these three chapters. God starts to work in the brothers' lives. God's working in Joseph's life. And God is starting to emerge in the midst of this, reconcil of this reconciliation story and this story of the family reunion. God keeps popping up. And I think the thing is that despite those emotions that Joseph is having, he's also realizing that there's a bigger picture. And despite his own personal emotions, there's something else going on. I actually think that one of the things that Joseph is working on in dealing with his emotions, in dealing with his past, in dealing with his relationships with his brothers is forgiveness. Joseph is trying to forgive. And that is an attribute of resilience. Did you know that? That resilient people are forgiving people. Resilient people find ways to work on forgiveness. It's interesting because what did Jesus teach us about forgiveness? Some of you know that, right? How many times are we supposed to forgive somebody? Seven times 70. 490 times for you mathematicians, right? Basically, what, what Jesus is saying is forgive habitually. Be a habitual forgiver. <laughs> Have you ever seen somebody who's a chain smoker? As soon as they finish that cigarette, what do they do? What does a chain smoker do as soon as they finish that cigarette? They grab another cigarette. That's chain smoking, right? We ought to be chain forgiving. That's what Jesus is saying. He says, as soon as you forgive once, you ought to be looking for the next person you need to forgive or the next time you need to forgive. That's actually what Jesus is saying, that our forgiveness should be habitual. Is it easy? No. But Jesus commands us and encourages us and strengthens us because forgiveness, I think, Jesus is correct, obviously, that this is part of being resilient. To forgive is resilient. Nelson Mandela, who was in prison during apartheid, Notice that what he said when he walked out of prison, he says, when I walked out of the gate, I knew that if I continued to hate these people, I was still in prison. 
he understood the power of forgiveness. And there are different types of forgiveness. Did you know there are different levels of forgiveness? The first type of forgiveness is what we would call decisional forgiveness. This is where I think Joseph is in naming his sons. He's decided to move on, right? He's made a decision to forgive. You and I can make a decision to forgive. You and I can make a decision to say, I'm going to forgive this person. I'm not condoning what they did. I'm not saying that what they did was right. But I want to move on. I want to stop being in this prison. And so I'm going to choose to forgive. doesn't mean the emotions go away. It doesn't mean that you still don't have memories uh, about the past, but what you're doing is you're saying, I'm not going to hold on to this anymore. I'm going to let it go. Dis- I'm going to decide to let it go and move on. That's kind of where Joseph was in the story and naming his sons. He was ready to move on. He was deciding to do that. So that's decisional forgiveness, and it's the rational side of forgiveness. But another level of forgiveness is emotional forgiveness. Ah, that's the hard one, isn't it? That's the one where you, your emotions actually change towards the other person. Where I think you have to kind of go through decisional forgiveness before you can get to emotional forgiveness. I think it's part of the process of forgiving somebody. But emotional forgiveness is where my emotions actually start to change towards that other person who hurt me. Where my emotions are actually, I'm starting to feel more empathy for them or compassion for them. And I'm able to no longer harbor this ill will or this seeking of revenge or getting even with this person. I'm actually letting go of the anger and the bitterness. And my feelings, my emotions are now being modified in such a way that I'm feeling more compassion and empathy for that other person who hurt me. It's also interesting because what did Jesus teach Did Jesus teach decisional forgiveness or emotional forgiveness? Did Jesus lead us to work on just deciding to forgive people? Or did Jesus lead us to emotionally forgive people? To modify our emotions about the situation, so to speak. Jesus said in one of the passages in Matthew 18, which is a whole passage about forgiveness and repentance. And at the end of that passage in verse 35, he says, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Jesus was saying, you and I have to move towards emotional forgiveness. We don't need to hold on to this forever. And I think that's important for us. I think this is a key characteristic of being resilient, is moving towards emotional forgiveness. Do you remember a couple years ago in the news, Oscar Gronig was, uh, he was a 94-year-old uh, gentleman in a nursing home. It was discovered that he served at Auschwitz as a Nazi soldier. He was the bookkeeper at Auschwitz. And when uh, the Jewish people were brought to Auschwitz to be imprisoned in, in the camp, all their money was taken from them, and Oscar was the one who took their money from them and kept a record of it and passed on that money to the Nazi war machine. And he was found guilty of war crimes at the age of 94 and sentenced to four years in prison. He died two years later. But before he died, there was another person, Eva Moses Kor, who was a survivor of Auschwitz, who had lived in Auschwitz, who had possibly met Oscar without even remembering. She said that she lost 119 relatives in the Holocaust. Her whole family had been wiped out. She was the lone survivor from her family. You know what she did? She befriended Oscar. 
at the age of 94. That after he was sentenced to prison, she actually went and met with him and befriended him, and she publicly forgave him for his crimes. Why did she do that? Why did she do that? She said the reason that she did it was so that she could be set free. She didn't want to harbor it anymore. She didn't want to hold on to it anymore. She was willing to let go, and they actually became friends through this process. They actually, she actually experienced reconciliation with Oscar. Can you imagine? But she said it was so that she could be set free. I look at Eva, and I see a resilient person. <laughs> That's resilience, isn't it? This ability to, to forgive emotionally from the heart, and that's what she did. And Joseph now in this story, I think, is working on level two emotional forgiveness. But you know, there's something else going on here. And I think what Joseph is still asking this question in this whole episode is he's still asking the question of his brothers though, right? Which is what you and I ask when we are trying to forgive somebody. Have you changed? He's actually wondering, has his, ha, have his brothers changed? So he actually puts them to the test. And we read this morning about the first test of Joseph, where he, puts, he gives the grain to them, but he puts their silver back in their sacks, and he sends them on their way. This is actually a test. Because we have to remember back in the story when Joseph was 17, and he's in a cistern, Judah, his brother, devises a plan to sell him into slavery, and they pay 20 pieces of silver for him to be sold into slavery. I think this is Joseph saying, what are you going to do with the silver now? Have you changed, brothers? How will you handle this revelation that there is silver when you find it? What will you do with it? If we were to keep reading in the story, what we'd find out happens is that the brothers find the silver and then they don't go back to Egypt right away because they're afraid that they have to now go back with Benjamin and, and Benjamin is the new favorite of his, their father. Joseph was the old favorite, but Jacob thinks Joseph is dead. Benjamin is the other son of Rachel, ben, uh, Joseph's brother, and now Jacob's favorite. And so they don't want to take Benjamin back. They're afraid something bad's going to happen to him, just like it happened to Joseph. They're still dealing with the family secret of guilt about Joseph. But if we keep reading, what we discover is the brothers take the silver back. They return the silver to Joseph when they go back, and they are offering to pay double the amount that was in their sack. So what Joseph sees in them is a change of behavior, right? Their, their behavior has changed because what happened is they were kind of greedy before, and now they're willing to be men of integrity. Now they're willing to be people of integrity, and they're willing to be honest, and they're willing to tell the truth. And so what Joseph can see in this first test of silver coin is that their, their behavior's changed. They're different than what they were 20 years ago. So Joseph can see that. The other thing that happens, though, is if we keep reading in the story, and we're not going to get to this next week, uh, next couple of weeks, but what happens is he then, <clears throat> they all go back to Egypt, and this time Benjamin's with them, and the, he encounters Benjamin, <clears throat> and then he, they go back again, but this time Joseph has his household manager put one of his special silver cups in the sack of Benjamin, 
And then as they go back to Canaan, the manager chases after them, goes back and finds this silver cup in the sack of Benjamin. And they all have to return to Egypt because Joseph has threatened to hold them as slaves. And so again, he's testing them. He's saying, how are you going to respond to Benjamin? Are you just going to sell him out the way that you sold me out? Are you just going to let him go back and be a slave in Egypt or, and run for yourself and take care of yourself? But what happens is the brothers actually stand up for Benjamin. One of the things that happens as soon as they find the cup, this is what happens in chapter 44. At this, they tore their clothing, it says. They tore their clothing And what he's seeing is he's seeing a change of heart in them. He's seeing this change of heart in in the way they're dealing with Benjamin. And so now, as they're dealing with Benjamin, they're they're responding the same way their father responded when Joseph was found by their father to be dead. He tore his clothing. Now the brothers are tearing their clothing. They're in grief. They want to protect Benjamin, whereas 20 years ago, they wanted to get rid of Joseph. There's a difference There's a change in them. Judah actually goes on and tries to negotiate for Benjamin. Judah's the one, remember, who sold Joseph into slavery, who negotiated the trade, the transaction with the slave traders. Judah was the one who came up with the 20 pieces of silver. This same Judah is now negotiating for the life of Benjamin, and he says to to Joseph, take me. Take me instead of my brother Benjamin. Let Benjamin go back. He's been willing to put his own life on the line for his brother. A total change of heart. Joseph can see this. Joseph can see that his brothers have changed. Because here's the point. Joseph is not looking for revenge. That's a lack of forgiveness. When you and I are looking to get even, when you and I are looking for revenge, when you and I are looking for payback, that's not forgiveness. What Joseph is looking for is repentance. Repentance, which is a change of behavior and a change of heart. You see, here's the thing. You and I can forgive people. We can decide to forgive people. We can emotionally forgive people. But for our relationship to be restored to that that person, we're looking for repentance. We're saying, we're asking the question, have you changed? Can I trust you again, right? I've seen this time and time again in married couples who've gone through a, a, a marital unfaithfulness. And every time, and, and I wish I could say that this didn't happen as often as it did, and I wish I could say that reconciliation happens more often. That actually, it doesn't happen as often as I'd like it. But it is possible, And every time I sit down with couples who've gone through marital unfaithfulness, they're asking the question, the person who committed uh, adultery is asking the question of other person, how can I trust you again? That's that's the big question. And, And is your heart changed? Do you still love me? Are you able to still love me? And has your behavior changed? Are is your, you're willing to change your behavior? Are you willing to change some things? And when that person is, that's repentance, right? a change of heart and a change of behavior. And only when that other person is repentant is reconciliation possible. And I very rarely see that. I have seen it. And I can tell you there's a couple I can think of right now who went through this. And because the husband was repentant and was willing to make major changes about his behavior, his wife was able to reconcile with him. And they're still married today. And they're still a family today because of his ability to repent. Repent. 
See, you can forgive, but it doesn't mean that it's safe to be back in relationship with them. It's not until they repent that then trust is rebuilt and safety is rebuilt to help reconciliation and restoration to happen. It's also interesting to point out that's how God works with us. Do you notice that in the story of Joseph is actually the story of us and God? Did God decide to forgive us? Yes. Has God emotionally forgiven us? Yes. God is ready. God has compassion for us, empathy for us. God's feelings are not negative towards us. God sent Jesus into the world to die for us, to reconcile us, to restore us to relationship with God. God took the first step and says, I am ready to forgive. But for relationship to be restored to God, I have to be willing to repent. (laughs) I have to be willing to change my behavior and my heart has to change for me to be back in relationship with God. God's ready to be in relationship with me and you. The question is, are we willing to be in relationship with God who is ready to forgive us in Jesus Christ? Are we willing to repent of our behavior and our attitudes and our hearts so that we can be restored and reconciled to God. If you've never wrestled with that, I hope you do today. Where are you at in your relationship with God? Is there a place where you need to repent towards God? Notice that in this whole story, if you read the story, every time they feel guilty, they think it's God. <laughs> they, don't, they don't think it's Joseph. They don't think there's some, some uh, twisted plan. They think God is making them feel guilty for what they did to Joseph, and they're trying to deal with the guilt of the past, to deal with the family secret. They knew they needed to repent, and they see God working in that repentance. I believe that God works in repentance in your life, in my life. So some of us are sitting here today, and for a relationship to be restored to God and to someone else, we need to repent. But maybe some of us are sitting here today and we're wrestling with forgiveness. We're wrestling with how do I forgive this person, right? And so I would suggest to you, who is it that you need to forgive today, emotionally? Maybe you need to start with decisional forgiveness and move towards emotional forgiveness. But think about that. What is it, where do you need to repent or where do you need to forgive today? And I would encourage you to do that. And I'll tell you why. Did any, has anybody read the book, We Were Soldiers Once and Young, by Lieutenant Colonel General Moore? No, no other military history buffs here? Okay. Well, guess who reads military history? Lieutenant Moore was the, gen, was the colonel at the time who led the first major battle of the Vietnam War in the Ladrang Valley. They made a movie out of it called We Were Soldiers Once. Uh, about the Vietnam War. And in that movie, uh, well, actually in the book, he talks about the first major battle of the Vietnam War. And they opposed dug-in troops, Vietnamese troops, North Vietnamese troops that were dug into the hillside and the U.S. troops were in the valley. And this was a major, ba- uh, major battle. A lot of lives were lost. And it was really the beginning of the Vietnam- Vietnamese War for America. It had been behind the scenes, but this was the first major battle, public battle. So General Moore went through that battle. It was a terrible battle on both sides, life lost on both sides. General Ahn was the opposing commander 
of, that, of the North Vietnamese troops. So several, a few decades later, General Moore started a correspondence with General An in Vietnam. The two opposing commanders in that battle started to communicate and they, be, they befriended each other. And so General Moore then petitioned the Vietnamese government to go back to the Drang Valley. And for two to three years, he kept making requests to want to go back to the valley to visit the place of the battle. And they kept denying his request. But finally, they approved his request and he invited General An, the opposing enemy general, to go with him and camp out in the valley of the battle. So if you can imagine 30 plus years later, the two opposing generals, some of their officers that survived the war, all sitting together around a campfire in the Ladrang Valley where the battle happened and talking about the battle as friends. Can you get that image in your head? How much forgiveness had to happen for that conversation to happen? How much forgiveness, how much emotional forgiveness had to happen for them to sit down as friends in that valley to be reconciled, even though there was a time when they were trying to kill each other. You know what their conclusion was? You know, as they sat around that campfire that evening and as they talked about everything that happened, do you know what their conclusion, you know what the bottom line conclusion they came to together was? What a waste. What a waste. Why did we do this to each other? Why did we try and kill each other? Why did we hate each other? Why did we keep lobbing grenades and shooting at each other? Why did we do this to each other? They said this was such a waste of energy and time and life. When all along we could sit here in this valley as friends. I wonder about that. I wonder about heaven and if that's what heaven's like. That you and I and everybody we're mad at right now, <laughs> what if we all end up in a valley in heaven, sitting around worshiping God together, <laughs> and we look back on these petty arguments or these frustrations or this anger or this bitterness that we carried around with us for years, and we sit in that valley and and we go, boy, that was a waste. <laughs> what a waste of time. What a waste of energy. What a waste of emotions. What a waste of hatred and bitterness. I want you to think about that. <laughs> I want us to think about that. Especially as we look around us at all the hate and the anger and the bitterness. Maybe we'll all sit together as friends one day and be going, man, that was a waste of energy and time and life. The only way that'll change is if we'll repent and forgive. Let's pray together.